Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and easy the path that leads to destruction, and many will find it. But narrow is the gate and hard is the path that leads to life, and only few will find it. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And you will recognize these false prophets by their fruit. Every healthy tree produces good fruit, and every sick tree produces bad fruit. Healthy trees don't make bad fruit, and sick trees don't make good fruit. And I tell you that every tree that produces bad fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You will know them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And I will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise person who builds their house on a rock. The rains came down, the rivers rose, the wind beat against that house, and it did not fall because it was built on the rock. But everyone who hears these words and does not do them is like a foolish person who builds their house on the sand. The rains came down, the rivers rose, the wind beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now those words come from Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And what Jesus is doing there at the end of Matthew chapter 7 is he is picking up a long tradition from the Old Testament, especially the prophets and the wisdom writers of the Old Testament. And it's this imagery that is called two ways imagery or two ways theology, two ways of living. Elementary kids, those of you who are here in the room, and I know you guys love to, to draw pictures and take notes during the sermon. If you want to draw a picture that describes this morning's sermon, you can draw a person walking through the forest, and there are two paths that this person could follow. And frankly, adults, if we took notes with pictures, we would probably get more out of it as well, okay? So uh, you can take notes this morning. There's going to be two points that you can write down, or even better, if you want to draw a picture, and it's two people walking through the forest. And here's a path over here that leads to destruction, and here's a path over here that leads to life. And in the Old Testament, the way this would happen is the prophets would come with this very fiery language, these fiery sermons, and tell the people, here's a way that leads to destruction, here's a way that leads to life, you need to choose which path you're going to follow. And then you would also have these writers that were more like your grandfather figure, your kind teacher, that would say, now hey, gently, I've been down this path, you don't want to go down that path. I've gone down that path in my life, and I can tell you where it leads, and I know it looks easy, and I know it looks like the way you want to go, but that path does not go where you think it goes. It ends in destruction, but there is a good path over here, and I know it seems hard at times, and I know it seems like you're not going to make it, but this path, this path leads to life, and what we have at the end of Hebrews chapter 10 that we're going to see in a moment is this two-way theology, that there is a way that leads to destruction, and we're going to see what that way looks like. 
And there's a way that leads to life. And we're going to see what that way looks like. And here's the question you need to ask yourself this morning if you're in this room or if you're watching at home as well. Here's the question you need to ask. Do I like the direction my life is going? If I continue down this path, is it worth it? Because the church that's being written to here, given this sermon in the book of Hebrews, there are people in this church who are beginning to say, I don't know if it's worth it to follow Jesus. I don't know if it's worth it to continue to be connected to the church. I don't know if it's worth it to continue to be called a Christian. Is it worth it to continue down this path? Do I like the direction this is going? And we need to ask that about our life spiritually. Sometimes you ask that about your job. <laughs> like, is this worth it? Is it worth it to continue to go down this path? Sometimes you find yourself asking this about your marriage or about friendships or relationships. We begin to ask ourselves this question, is it worth it to continue going down this path? Which direction, which path do I want my life to go on? Okay, let's see what God's word says about this. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's pick up, let's start in verse 26. Point number one is up there on the screen. You get it. There's two paths. One leads to destruction, one leads to life. Path number one is a path of deliberate sin. Verse 26. The preacher says here, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, if you tracked with us through the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, there are five warning passages. There are five places where the preacher says, don't go that way because if you go that way, you're going away from the Lord and it heads to destruction. Chapter 2, Chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 10, chapter 12. Five different times in the book of Hebrews we get the same idea repeated. If you go this direction, it's going to lead to destruction. Don't, don't go that way. What does this passage say? It says, if we go on sinning deliberately after we receive this knowledge of the truth. If you sometimes like to look up the Old Testament background of certain verses, your Old Testament background for this verse is Numbers chapter 15. And what you find when you look back in Numbers chapter 15 is the difference between unintentional sins, I didn't mean to do that, I wasn't deliberately planning to do that, and intentional sins, meaning the preschooler that just looks you in the face and still throws the toy. <laughs> like, they're like, yeah, I absolutely meant to do that. Like, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that, and I looked at you, and I still threw the toy at you. This is deliberate sinning that says, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what God says. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what the pastor says. I know what I want to do, and Dad Gummin, I'm going to do it. Like, sometimes the phrase used in the Old Testament is sinning high-handedly, meaning I'm just going to do this because I want to do it. I'm deliberately going to sin after receiving the knowledge of truth, after knowing the good news of Jesus after knowing what God's will is, after hearing God's law presented, after seeing the right path to go and say, I know I'm supposed to go that way, I don't care, I'm going to go this way. What's the result of that? There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If you've turned your back, if you've turned away from Jesus, where are you going to go? What's the next verse say? Verse 27. What's the result of this? A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
Now, it worked out this morning um, in the hallway. I was having a conversation with someone this morning, and they were talking about this idea, and, and they were right on saying this. Like, this is a pretty accurate statement. In church t- nowadays, we don't talk a lot about hell. Well, that's not unwrong. I mean, that's a, that's a true statement. You don't hear a lot about hell. And I said, well, just wait a couple hours because we are going to get there this morning. Not because I woke up this morning wanting to talk about hell, but because we're just working our way through the book of Hebrews. And I know, good chance, you didn't come here this morning saying, I want to hear a sermon about hell. Maybe you did. I'm not sure. But that probably wasn't your thought. But as we work our way through Scripture, we are reminded of these truths. We're reminded of these doctrines. If you know the way of Jesus... If you have heard about his forgiveness and his sacrifice, if you know that one day we will all die and stand before the Lord in judgment, and you say, I don't care, I'm going to do my own thing, go my own direction, what is the expectation left for you? A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That will get your attention. And I know many of us, not many of us, I I probably shouldn't say that. A lot of us probably grew up in churches where the fear of hell could be used in a manipulative way. Um, This hellfire and brimstone, pound the pulpit, yell every Sunday, that can be used in a wrong way. And and I absolutely get that. I acknowledge that, and many of us have memories and experiences of what that might have felt like. At the same time, it does not do anybody any good for us to say, just live however you want. Like, do whatever you want to in life. It's going to be fine. God's just going to deal with everybody just the same in the end. It doesn't matter. Friends, that doesn't help anybody either because that's not the truth of Scripture. And so fear and hell can absolutely be misused. But we need to know that if we turn our backs on the one who gave his life for us, who made sacrifice for sins, who says this is the path for life, and we say, I don't care, I'm going my own direction, we need to be very clear about what that direction is and where it ends And it ends in separation from God for all of eternity. And we need to see the force of that. Now you say, okay, if that's that big of a deal, how do we know this is actually true? Well, look at the next verse. It sets up a comparison here. Here's the comparison of verse 28. And we've we've seen this in Hebrews before. Verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You're like, okay, what does this have to do with anything? Well, in the book of Hebrews, there's this constant comparison between the Old Covenant, Old Testament, and the New Covenant, New Testament. So something will happen in the Old Testament, and then it is exaggerated, it's probably not the right word, amplified, made greater in the New Testament. And so in the Old Testament, it says that if you were found guilty on the basis of two or three witnesses because of the law of Moses, what's going to happen to you? Well, what's going to happen to you is you're going to die without mercy. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by this group of people? And then it goes on in verse 29, describes this group of people. What's this group of people that's going to find punishment? Well, those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God, and have profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. There's a list you don't want to be found on. You want to know what it means to sin deliberately, to turn your back on the way of life? It means to trample underfoot the Son of God. Probably too soon to mention OU football coaches being trampled, because that was a very dangerous situation, but you get that we understand that 
idea of falling down and being trampled and being caught in a situation like this. What does it mean to be trampled underfoot? Here, this is the idea of you throw something on the ground and you just like, you know, bury it in the ground. It's, a, it's an object of scorn. It's the very opposite of worship. If you want to know what trampled underfoot the Son of God means, it's the very opposite of giving worship and honor to the Son of God. This is the idea that we should be kneeling at the feet of Jesus and instead we placed him under our feet. And if you take an, an ancient context or even many places in the world, to be associated with the feet is usually a place of dishonor. And some of you have terrible foot fetishes and can't stand feet. You understand this. Like, to be associated with a person's feet is not a good thing. Like, that's not where you want to be found. It's a place of dishonor, even a place of disgust. Number two, you've profaned the blood of the covenant. What's it mean to profane the blood of the covenant? It means to call the sacrifice of Jesus just a regular old thing. It doesn't... Jesus is just somebody who died 2,000 years ago. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't affect my life. It's, it's not that big a deal that Jesus died. Or to say, you know what? I tried that. I tried the Jesus thing. I tried the forgiveness of sins. I tried the church thing. It's just like anything else that's out there. Some things help. Some things don't. If it helps you, that's good. That's the attitude that says to profane the blood of the covenant. Just to create, treat it like anything else that might be available. Number three outrage the spirit of grace the word outrage there is a word for pridefully insulting someone <laughs> to pridefully insult someone to say that God's spirit his grace has been given to you so imagine a situation this this Christmas or, or at somebody's birthday and you give them a good gift like you tried really hard with this gift many of you know how bad I am at gift giving uh, we had a birthday recently in, in our house. I'm always so surprised to see what my kids get for their birthday. It's just, like, I'm as surprised as they are to see what they get because uh, Amanda's buying everything. So uh, it's like, it's a great experience for me, too, um, to see all these presents coming in. Imagine, though, you give a gift to someone, and what you get back is insult and disrespect and even violence toward you because you were trying to give them a good gift. Think about what that feels like to be rejected in that way. And when we sin deliberately, when we turn against the way of Jesus, that is what is happening right there. Look at the next verse. Verse 30. What's the result of that? Well, we know him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you are going to reject the Son of God, reject his sacrifice for you, reject the spirit of God's grace and mercy that was poured out in your life, do you think God the Father is going to respond well to that? No, he says, vengeance is mine, that he is the living God who will judge all people. This is that same pendulum, the idea that many times you might have grown up with a God who seems so angry and distant and over the years we've gone to the other extreme and now we have a Jesus is my homeboy God is the big man upstairs God's just the great grandfather in the sky that's not helpful either like that's not the true God of the Bible either and so we see a God here who is gracious and merciful slow to anger abounding in steadfast love but friends at the same time he is holy 
and he is righteous, and he is the creator and judge of all things, and all people will stand before him one day, not standing before your homeboy or your grandfather or the big man upstairs, but standing before the creator of the universe who has made possible the forgiveness of sins, who has overcome death through sending his son Jesus, and to scorn that, to reject that, to say that doesn't matter, I'm going to do my own thing, is a dangerous, fearful thing. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God who is also good and is also righteous. In C.S. Lewis' book, at the end, not at the end, but along the way, you see this interaction with Aslan, who's the lion representing Christ in this story. And you find this dialogue where it says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And then Susan, who, Susie, who doesn't quite get what's going on at this point in the story, ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I still feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then you get this great statement here. Safe, said Mr. Beaver? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. When you think about who God is, that he is the living God, who is the creator of all things, who is the judge, and he is good, but he is also keen. And to reject that, to turn away from that, is a fearful thing. So there's path number one that leads to judgment when we are deliberately sinning and turning against God. The question is, please tell me there's a path number two. <laughs> like, please tell me there's, a, there's another direction you can go. And there is, starting verse 32. Look at the other option. Here's the transition in verse 32. The preacher says, but remember, think back to this, recall, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you saw the truth, after your eyes were open, you said, oh yeah, that's who Jesus is. That's what it means to follow him. When you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. So path number two is a path of endurance, a path of faith. Even when that path is narrow and that path is hard, you can look back to your life and say, I remember when I trusted in Jesus. Think about that for a second. Just, just for a moment, let's take a quick break in the sermon. Think back in your life. When did you begin to follow Jesus? Maybe it was a kid in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, maybe you're in college, young adult, lady in your life. You began to follow Jesus, and he was so good. Like the idea of being connected to the church, the idea of learning the Bible, the idea of growing in your faith. Like you would have given anything to follow Jesus. Your life was completely devoted to him. But think back to what that was like, that idea of I am going to continue to follow Jesus no matter what. My life is devoted to him. This is that path of endurance. Where does that path lead? Well, look in verse 33. What, what, what do we look at back when we think about this? Well, verse 33 Enduring this struggle with sufferings means sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. When you think about the Christian life, sometimes you receive direct opposition for your faith. You're shamed, you're embarrassed. People are like, why would you do that? Why would you go to church? Why would you follow Jesus? Why do you believe that stuff? How could anybody believe that stuff? You're made fun of in that way. You've been told you're wasting your life. Why would you do that? You're wasting your life doing that. Why would you take your family to do that? Sometimes you're just partners with those who are being mistreated. The idea that you are connected with a group of people, and when they're mistreated, it reflects on you. 
And so sometimes you hear somebody spoken badly of because they're a Christian, and you have to decide, do I want to raise my hand at that point as well and say, I'm a Christian too, and I'm going to stand with them in this moment and not allow them. You know, sometimes in life we're like, hey, I've got your back way back here. Like, I've got your back, and I'll be way back here. This is the idea. I've got your back, and I'm going to stand right beside you. Like, I'm going to care for you, and we're going to go through this situation together. Verse 34 For you had compassion, when you think back on your Christian life, the way it started, you had compassion on those in prison. We're going to talk about this more at the beginning of 2024. It comes back around in in, in Hebrews chapter 13, but this idea of having compassion on those who have been forgotten. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. When you were following Jesus and somebody is coming along, and they are trying to take your worldly possessions, you say, I don't care. Like, that, that does not bother me because my joy is not found in those possessions. My joy is found in a greater hope to come. And so if someone wants to come along, and they want to take my house, they want to take my clothes, they want to take all these things, they can take those because that's not where I find my joy. He's where the joy is. He is where I find hope, and I know the future he has for me is so much greater than anything I could ever gain now. Verse 35, in that situation, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Quick little Bible reading tip here. Um, When you see the word confidence in a lot of English translations of the Bible, What that word is getting at is the idea of public boldness. When you see the word confidence in the New Testament, oftentimes that word is associated with the idea of boldness or openness about your faith. And so the author is saying here, when you look back at your life, you can remember a time that you would have followed Jesus no matter what. Like your life was devoted to him and you were going along that path. But remember what the people are dealing with at this point. Some of them are looking around and saying, yeah, this is not what I signed up for. (laughs) Like, uh, this is way harder than I expected, and I'm really not sure that it's worth it to continue on this mission that God's given me. I'm not sure it's worth it to continue following Jesus. I'm not sure it's worth it to stay in this relationship, and they're beginning to question, and he says, do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your boldness, your public identification with Jesus, because it has a great reward. Keep going. I know you get tired of me hearing, get tired of hearing me say that, but we'll just keep saying it. What's the gift of the church? The gift of the church is you are surrounded by people who will help you keep going toward Jesus. Don't throw away your confidence. Students going to college, don't throw away your identification with Jesus. Young parents, don't throw away your identification with Jesus. Senior adults, don't give up on your identification with Jesus. You are focused on him. You're on the path that leads to life. Keep going. Verse 36. Actually, verse 37. Sorry, verse 37. There's a little summary statement here. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. This is talking about the return of Jesus. He's going to come in judgment. He's going to come to bring salvation. The coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he retreats, If he withdraws or shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
Then verse 39. We are not of those who retreat and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This verse right here, (laughs) this is the verse that everybody is hyped up about in the locker room, ready to go out in the game. This is where you gather the troops, gather the people together, and say, we are going to go forward. We are not going to be of those who retreat. We are not going to be of those who deliberately sin. We're not going to be of those who reject Jesus. We're not going to be of those who back away from the church and back away from the mission, because we know the result of that is destruction. But we are going to be people who move forward. We are going to be people of faith. We are going to be people who give our lives to Jesus no matter what it costs. We are going to be people who press on because we know the result of that is the preservation, the salvation of our souls, that there is true life to be found. And so if you're here this morning, let me remind you, there are two ways in life. There's a way that leads to destruction. We know what that path looks like. And there's a way that leads to life. And so we have to ask, what direction is my life going? What path am I on? You may be here this morning, and you have people speaking into your life, and they're saying, son, sweetheart, don't keep going on that path. I know it seems fun. I know it seems easier. I know it seems right to you. But I've been around the block a time or two. Like, I know where that path goes. Do not go down that path. Don't go that direction. It leads to destruction. There is a better way, and that better way is found through Jesus. His will, his way, the life that he has provided. Go this way. And it's one thing to hear that when you're sitting in church and say, yeah, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. When life gets hard, when temptations come, when frustrations come, man, that can be hard. And if you're here this morning saying, is it worth it to continue to follow Jesus? With everything I have, with all the love I have for you, I would say, yes, it absolutely is. He is worth everything you have to give. What makes the difference about which path you follow? What makes the difference about whether you go down path number one that leads to destruction or path number two that leads to life? I tried to pull a few things out of these verses and just kind of think through this. Like, what what makes the difference of this? Part of it's, Our view of the past, when we look back and think about things that have happened in our life, do we see God's faithfulness? You know, you think about looking back at your life and how you got to this point, and you're like, how did I ever get to this point without God's goodness and faithfulness in my life? He has been faithful in the past, and the same God who's been faithful in the past will be faithful in the future. Some of your path decision between one and two has to do with how you think about the future, Let's be really clear, if there's no eternity, (laughs) like if this life is all there is, just totally discount everything I said to you over the last 30 minutes, okay? Because if the view of the future is you just live, you die, and it's all over, then by all means, live it up in this world. Do whatever you want to do. But if there is a future judgment, and if there is an eternity, and there is a resurrection of the dead, it absolutely matters which path you go down. And so how we think about the future is going to determine which path we go down in this life. How we think about other people, whose reputation, whose approval do you seek? Sometimes in life we get caught up in who we want to think highly of us. And you're like, yeah, that happens a lot in middle school or high school. 
Like in middle school or high school, you want to be with the cool crowd. Can I tell you, one of my principles for life is we never escape middle school. Like you just, like that's just one of Owen's like lessons in life. Like no matter where you go in life, you never truly escape middle school. And so in middle school, you want to be approved and thought well of by the right crowd. Guess what? The same thing happens when you're an adult. You want to have the approval of certain people. Whose approval are you seeking? Who do you want to think highly? Who do you want to be connected with? We want to be connected with the people of God who are pointing us toward Jesus. And then finally, our view of God will make the difference about which path we go down. What you think about when you think about who God is is the most important thing in your life. That you would know that God is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That he is the creator. He is the judge. And he is the one who is able to save you. He is good. He is faithful. And he is the king who is worthy of our worship. And the question this morning is, which path is my life going to go down? And I would say, look to Jesus. Follow him with everything you have. Would you bow your heads with me? Here in just a second, we're going to sing a song that I hope that you can stand and sing with all of your heart. It's a great song to sing together as a church. It's a celebration of God's work in your life. That we would see this as a church saying, God, I believe these things are true. I want my life to be fully devoted to you. I want to follow this path of faith and endurance that leads to salvation. I don't want to go down this path. I don't want to turn my back on Jesus. I don't want my life to lead to destruction and be wasted. If you're here this morning, please hear me. If you're here this morning and you are worried about the path that your life is going down, or maybe you have family members or friends and you're worried about what path their life is going down, this is a time of prayer. This is a time that you can reach out and say, would you pray with me? Would you, maybe you just need to come here to the front to the steps and you need to pray for a child or a friend. Maybe you need to pray for a parent. Say, God, would you show them the path of life? Friends, this morning, I want you to know that the way of Jesus is worth it. Following him, seeking his will, he's called you to do. It is worth everything you have to give. You can build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.